Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Go to 3 John, the third epistle of John. I want to return to the theme that... uh, I ministered on back in March and up until early in in April. And the the series that I was on was Balanced Godly Prosperity. And I want to continue on that same theme today, but I want to switch gears and approach it from uh, the other side of the the equation, so to speak. And uh, in 3 John, verse number 2, the, the, the apostle said, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. As we pointed out before, I'll just quickly go over just some real brief uh, comments of what we discovered uh, in our first uh, installment of this series. We discovered that this verse tells us there are three distinct areas of prosperity. There is material prosperity, there is physical prosperity, and there is spiritual prosperity. Well, I believe in all three realms of prosperity, all three areas of prosperity. The Bible teaches all three realms of prosperity. And, uh, and I am not ashamed to say that I believe in financial, material prosperity, In fact, some people have argued that this word that's translated prosper just means to do well in life. And it can be translated that way, but it's translated prosper here, and it's also translated prosper in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse number two, where Paul instructed the church on the first day of the week to lay something aside in offerings as the Lord may prosper you. Well, what does that mean? That means as he financially blesses you. Isn't that right? So the word does mean financial prosperity. Uh, I also believe in balance. I believe in financial prosperity. I believe in the doctrine. And we're going to establish this today, that this is a bona fide doctrine in the Bible. I believe that, I believe in prosperity, but I believe in a balanced approach of prosperity. You know, with every biblical subject, there seems to be a main road, so to speak, and then there are ditches on either side of the road. And people, it seems, they get so easily into the ditch on one side of the, or, of the road or the other on virtually any Bible subject. Uh, and that's what extremism is. Extremism is emphasizing one truth, though it may be valid, It may be a valid Bible truth, but when you emphasize any one truth to the exclusion of everything else the Bible has to say about that truth, then you've you've gotten into extremism. You've gotten over into the ditch, amen? Well, uh, like I said, this is true concerning almost any Bible subject and probably probably actually any Bible subject, but uh, given uh, the inherent greediness of human nature, The teaching of biblical prosperity can easily become extreme. You know, uh, there is an idea presented, and I I think it's unconsciously 
present it, I don't think it's the intent. But in a lot of modern prosperity teaching and preaching today, it is, whether intentional or not, it's nonetheless communicated that to really please God, you have to have a lot of things or you have to have a lot of money. And if you're not really prospering financially to someone else's standard of living, then you're really not hitting the mark, you know, in pleasing God. And, uh, but Jesus said, beware, take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life does not consist in the abundance of the things which he possesses. Amen? So, uh, pleasing God does not come down to having a big house, having uh, the latest model vehicle or a fancy vehicle, having designer clothes, having your kids, you know, in a, in a posh uh, uh, uh you know, exclusive private school or in some other measure of financial prosperity. God is pleased with prosperity, but that's not what God, it's not the things you have that pleases him. God isn't impressed with our things. So God isn't, God isn't pleased with my house or with my bank account. He doesn't get excited about that. I might get excited or I might not, (laughs) but it takes a whole lot more than our puny little things, however much we have, takes a whole lot more than that to impress God. I mean, God lives in in a town where the streets are made out of solid gold and, and the gates of the city, each one of them are made out of one pearl. So your little flashy ring doesn't impress God a whole lot. The little pendant around your neck, God doesn't go, ooh, that is so pretty, I'd have to have one of those. (laughs) So a man's life does not consist in the abundance of the things which he possesses. And so I think it's careful that we present balance so that people understand that God is pleased with prosperity, but he's not impressed with the things that constitute our prosperity, amen? Uh, we read this, go over to 1 Timothy and look at the 6th chapter. And again, I'm just briefly uh, covering what we've talked about before. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse number 9 says, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. As I pointed out before, that's a pretty serious warning. (coughs) Are you out there today? I said that's a pretty serious warning. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare. Well, I don't want to fall into temptation and a snare. Amen. And into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. Well, uh... If that you know, we have to we have to present this side of it. If we're going to present what the Bible has to say about money and about prosperity, we have to present this side. We have to show the threat. We have to give heed to the warning, and that's something that is not too often or at all. I don't think uh, really covered when people preach on prosperity. 
Uh, but we have to cover it because to not do that would not be balanced. It would not be balanced to only produce or only preach rather on the promises of God and not talk about this other side because they're, they're important and it's part of the whole picture. Amen. Well, like I said, the danger is real. But even though this is a serious warning, the verse we read to open today is a serious promise. Go back to Third John again. Beloved, I pray... Now, John was writing this, but he's writing as he was moved by the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that all the word of God is God-breathed. And and so even though he was writing to a person named Gaius here, the Bible says that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for instruction, for for correction, so that the man of God, not just Gaius, but all the men of God, all the women of God, so that any believer can be instructed in the things of God. So we know this verse applies to us. It is as if God was writing you a personal letter or giving you a personal word from heaven. He's saying, I wish or I desire above all things that you may prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. We uh, established this, that you really can't prosper in the other two realms. You really can't prosper as you should in the financial realm or in the physical realm unless you're prospering in the spirit realm. Because the prosperity in the spirit realm is the foundation for all of it. But nonetheless, this verse talks about financial prosperity. And you know it would have to be talking about financial prosperity. He said, I pray that you may prosper in all things. Well, that would have to include money, wouldn't it? Amen. Amen. Now, I know that it's really amusing to me that when prosperity preachers get up, now, I believe in prosperity and I teach it, but I'm not a prosperity preacher. I'm just a Bible preacher. And because prosperity is part of it, then I preach that. But I'm talking about those people that always, you know, that's their forte. You know, that's their specialty. I've noticed, I guess, 100% of the time, when someone introduces a subject of prosperity from this verse, they always say something like this. Now, now prosperity doesn't just apply to money. It applies to prospering in, in all kinds of things, prospering socially, prospering mentally, emotionally. You know, it, it's not just talking about money. And, and so they make that disclaimer at the very beginning. And once they get that out of the way, they spend the next hour talking about money. Yeah. It's almost like they have to apologize first. Yeah. Now, we're not just talking about money. Okay, got that out of the way. Let's talk about money. Well, I'm here to tell you, I don't mind talking about money. And this verse, even though it could apply to other forms of prosperity, it primarily means financial prosperity. The Webster Dictionary says to prosper means to, number one definition is to succeed in an enterprise or activity, especially to achieve economic success especially to achieve economic success. 
Then the second and third uh, definitions is one is to become strong and flourishing and number three, to cause to succeed or thrive. But notice the number one definition is, to, is especially to uh, succeed in uh, economics financially. And so when we use the word prosper, that's what we mean most of the time. And so let's not try to... to uh, apologize for it and try to make it apply to somebody. This is talking about your money. Amen. Besides that, uh, W.E. Vine's Expository Dictionary of New Testament Words says that this word means figuratively to succeed in business affairs. So we can say it that way. Beloved, I pray that you may succeed in business affairs and all other things and to be in health just as your soul prospers. God wants us to prosper. So this is a serious promise. Just like 1 Timothy 6 is a serious warning, this is a serious promise. And I'm I'm bringing balance because of inside our camp, in the word of faith camp, prosperity has been preached without the balance of the warnings. But outside of our camp and looking back to all of our backgrounds, no matter where you came from, the promise side was left out and only the warning was preached. I mean, in churches far and wide, all denominations, all groups, it has been preached for centuries. The warnings, the dire warnings, the, the, the consequences of, of mishandling and trusting in money rather than trusting in God. <clears throat> the warning has been preached far and wide. And so we have to preach the other side of it and we have to do it on a regular basis because this world is still in the ditch. The church is in the ditch saying, oh, you know, I don't want any of this world's good. I just want God in my life. And I don't, I don't, I, I don't want to have anything that might take me away from his presence and weight me down in life. And then the world backs that up. The unsaved back that up. Have you noticed the tendency in the world? Those filthy rich people. It's the rich people that are causing all the problems in America and in the world. And, and politicians just pander to the rich. And, and we need to take it from the rich and distribute it to people who don't deserve it. That's what the world says. Isn't that right? So the attack is ongoing and relentless when it comes to the biblical truth of prosperity. I've noticed this as a, as a child of God, not just as a preacher, but as a Christian. Traditions, uh, traditions have to be withstood on a regular basis. They have to be refuted. Because traditional thinking will creep back in. If you don't continue to acknowledge the truth of God's word, because we are encompassed about with the opposite view and the opposite presentation of things all the time, we hear it consciously, unconsciously, 
overtly, subtly. It comes to us from every direction and tradition, traditional ideas. And as soon as we take our our foot off the gas, so to speak, as soon as we uh, don't focus on the truths that counter these traditions, they come rushing right back in. Come rushing right back in. Uh, There's a friend of ours, a lady in Gainesville, and uh, she does my... Uh, my and Miss Angela's uh, alterations when we buy clothes and we want them altered or something, she, she does it. And uh, she belongs to a church that uh, a few years ago was a word of faith church. Had a pastor, you know, that was word of faith. He preached the promises of God, everything, you know, that, uh, that we uh, focus on here. But then uh, something happened to him. I don't know if he died or I think he passed away. And, and anyway, the church brought in somebody else, a new pastor. And this may not even be the, the first one. There may be a, a succession. But anyway, the pastor they have there now, you know, he's not strong on the areas of faith and the promises of God. And, and he's just more of an old-fashioned preacher. Preaches a lot of tradition and so forth, you know. And, and this lady said, after a few short years, she said, I've been in this church all these years. We were a word of faith church, but she said after a few short years, virtually nobody in our church knows how to believe God. Same people. It's not like they've had a turnover in the church. People don't talk faith. They don't live by faith. They don't uh, uh, focus on the promises of God and the blessings of God. And she said it's just all through the church, just trouble and, 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 and uh, uh you know, the curse, basically, all through the church because people are no longer believing in God. I'm telling you, we have to stay focused on the truth. Amen. Amen. And so not only do we have to do that because we have to remind ourselves, there is more understanding that the Lord wants to bring us along these lines that will help us. Amen. Well, we've said that First John, uh, or Third John, verse number 2, is a serious promise of God. Let's look real quick. Uh, quickly at two or three other serious promises. Turn to Psalm 35. Psalm 35 and verse number 27. Verse 27 says, Let them shout for joy and be glad who favor my righteous cause and let them say continually, let the Lord be magnified who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servants. Now remember the difference in this and in, in the distinction I made earlier. God doesn't take pleasure in your things. He's not interested in, in your uh, Mercedes Benz. Oh Lord, won't you buy me? He's, <laughs> oh Lord, won't you buy me a night on the town? Counting on you, Lord, so please don't let me down. Show me that you love me and provide another round. Oh, Lord. (laughs) Don't act like you never heard that song, Melanie. I know you did. (laughs) Huh? What? Who doesn't? All the, none of the young people know this song. How many older folks know this song? Janice Joplin, anyway. All right. Oh, Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? God's not impressed with your Mercedes Benz. He rides in a chariot of fire that travels at the speed of light. 
But he does take pleasure when you prosper. And we'll show you why in a few minutes. He says, let the Lord be magnified who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. Go over to Deuteronomy, or excuse me, go over to, uh, we'll go there in a minute, but go over to uh, Proverbs, the 10th chapter, Proverbs 10, and look at verse 22. The blessing of the Lord makes one rich. Well, now, see, tradition says, well, now that, that's not talking about money. That's just talking about, you know, it just, you know, just enriches your life. It's, it's just a rich life. The blessing of the Lord just, you know, to be, to be rich in life is, is I'm rich, you know, by my family. My family enriches me. My children enrich me. My grandchildren really enrich me. Grand, grandparent joke. Well, is he just talking about, you know, in, in a general concept of, of being enriched? No. The blessing of the Lord makes one rich and he adds no sorrow with it. So it's God's blessing that makes us rich. Or he could say it like this, a blessing of God, a blessing that comes from God, one, or one of his blessings is he'll make you rich. Wow. I don't like the sound of that. I do. I like the sound of that. Because it's a blessing of God. It's not a curse from God. It's not the curse of God that makes you rich. It's not the curse of the devil that makes you rich. It's the blessing of the Lord that makes us rich. And he adds no sorrow with it. He's not going to make you rich and then turn around and give you a lot of trouble to go along with it just to temper you, you know, keep you in balance. No, he just, he, he, it's one of his blessings to make us rich. Does God want us rich? Well, ev- evidently he does because he takes pleasure in it. Go over to Deuteronomy and look at the eighth chapter. Deuteronomy, the eighth chapter. Verse number 18, and you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is the devil who gives you power to get wealth. No. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he, the Lord your God, who gives you power to get wealth. It's, it's, it's God who gives us the power to get wealth. Why? That he may establish his covenant. God's, God's interested in his covenant being established because God has gone to great lengths. God has poured his life. He has given his very son for the establishing of this new covenant. And he says here that, that the Lord gives us the power to get wealth that he may establish that covenant. I heard a preacher say last night on TV That prosperity never got anybody saved. That prosperity never got anybody healed. I heard that. And I said to my wife, I said, that's not true. Prosperity has resulted in a lot of people being saved. Because people can't hear the word of salvation unless somebody prospers enough to send the preacher. 
Amen. That he may establish his covenant. God wants us to prosper so that he can establish his covenant. Amen. Well, let's look at this now. Let's turn our attention. Having said that, let's look at at, uh, Genesis. Go back to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis 2. Praise the Lord. Genesis 2. Now, just, you know, you know the story of Adam and Eve and in the garden and what they were commanded to do and so forth and not do. Verse number 17, the Lord said to Adam and to Eve, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Well, we know that they ate. Isn't that right? So after they ate, uh, God came to them, found them hiding because of, the, of, because of the consciousness of sin. And verse number 17 through 19 reads like this. Then, then to Adam, God said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake. Now, what I'm describing is Poverty. And, and you, can, you agree with me if you read this that what we're about to describe here is poverty. He said, if you eat of it, he said, cursed is the ground, because you did eat of it instead, rather. He said, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you. And you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. And go down to verse number 23. Therefore the Lord God said, or sent him out of the Garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man, and he placed cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden with a flaming sword, which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Adam and Eve were in paradise. They were in the Garden of Eden. All they had to do was just tend to the, to, the, to the garden and eat of the fruit of it. Every need was met. But because of disobedience, he said all of that now changes. He said now the ground is cursed for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles, thorns and thistles. And in the sweat of your face, you shall eat brow, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground for out of you were taken for you, for dust you are and to dust you shall return. And then he drove them from the garden. I would say that's poverty. God, they went from absolute prosperity and abundance overnight to abject poverty and lack where they had to just scratch out a living. God never intended humanity to live this way. Never intended man to live like this, but this is what came as a result of disobedience. Can you say amen? amen. Go, with over, go with me over to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. Now, if you know your Bible, you know that Isaiah 53 probably stands out head and shoulders above every other a chapter virtually in the whole Old Testament, especially in the book of, of Isaiah, because it is, it is the great chapter of the suffering servant of God, 
the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. This chapter has all to do with the redemptive work of Christ on the cross. And uh, in verse number four, it says, Surely he has borne our griefs. The margin there in, in says sicknesses. That Hebrew word for grief is also translated sicknesses. Surely he has borne our sicknesses and carried our sorrows. The word sorrows in the original Hebrew uh, means pains. So surely he has borne our sicknesses and carried our pains. Now we know that's the correct translation because in Matthew chapter 8, it says that when evening had come, they brought to Jesus all them who were demon-possessed and it says he cast out the spirits with his word and healed all who were sick that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet himself bore our infirmities, uh, took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. So that's a direct quote from here. So we know that's the correct interpretation of this verse. Let's go on reading. He was smitten by God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. We have that quoted of course, in the New Testament, 1 Peter 2.24. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now, when it says that the chastisement of our peace was upon him, we have to understand that we've already seen that pro- Poverty came as a consequence of sin. Poverty poverty came as a consequence of sin, as a punishment or or, uh, the result of sin. Poverty was not here until man fell, until man transgressed God's commandment. And when he did, poverty was the result. So poverty came to mankind as a punishment for sin. The Amplified Bible here in verse number uh, five reads as follows. I don't have time to turn to it. Uh, Huh? You have it? You have it? Thank you. The Amplified Bible says, the chastisement needful to obtain peace and well-being for us was upon him and with the stripes that wounded him we were healed and made whole. Notice the chastisement or the punishment necessary to obtain peace and well-being for us was upon him. The Hebrew word that's translated peace is the word everybody recognizes, shalom. That's the word here. The chastisement or the punishment necessary to to provide shalom for us was upon him. Well, the word shalom in the the Hebrew word is a very uh, uh, full word. It has a lot of connotations and it means safe, well, happy, healthy, prosperous, and restful in addition to peace. So in the Old Testament, when someone said shalom, it was a greeting, but it didn't just mean peace to you. It meant be well, 
prosper, uh, live in safety, live in, in protection. Be, may it be well with you. And it says here that the punishment necessary to obtain our well-being, including our financial prosperity, was upon him. On the cross, Jesus bore the chastisement necessary to obtain financial, material prosperity for us. Because again, poverty and lack came as part of the curse of breaking God's law. Galatians 3, God says Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Well, the curse included poverty and lack. And it says here that the punishment necessary to obtain prosperity and abundance was upon him. So that punishment for sin included lack. See, what where people miss it today, this is the point I'm kind of struggling to make here, but the, the point the, or the thing that where, where people miss it today is when, when people talk about Jesus died uh, that we might prosper, they get their hankle, hackles all up because they think you know that that's lowering redemption that's bringing it from a from a high and lofty area where God Jesus died for our sins that we might be upright and in God's favor and he didn't die for these other things these other things are are not important but you see Jesus Jesus didn't just die to redeem us from sin Jesus died to redeem us from the consequences of sin. Notice the punishment necessary to obtain peace, abundance, safety, well-being, prosperity was upon him. He, when Jesus went to the cross, he had to actually bear each of the consequences of sin. It wasn't enough for him to just die on the cross, and sin be taken care of. The fact that Jesus had to die on the cross shows us that he had to bear the consequences of sin. What are the, what are the three consequences of sin? If we, if we read there in, in Genesis, the Bible says, the day you eat of this fruit, you shall surely die. Well, they continued to live. Adam lived 930 years. I don't know how long he had lived before he ate of the fruit, but it doesn't look like he lived very long. But he lived 930 years. Well, spiritual death came the day that he ate of that fruit. What is spiritual death? It's separation from God. The New Testament calls it being alienated from the life of God. So the day Adam and Eve ate of that fruit, they died spiritually. That's what God said, the day you eat of it, you shall die. Now, it took 930 years for Adam's body to die because the human body in its original condition was not programmed to die. It was programmed to regenerate itself and to live perpetually. If Adam had never sinned, he'd still be here. Well, physical death came as a result of spiritual death, but it took it took a while for that to work its way out. Well, death is the first consequence of sin. Then sickness. 
Because sickness came into the world through sin. There was no sickness until Adam partook of the Garden of Eden, or partook of the, of the fruit of the garden. Now, sickness is incipient death. It's like, I, I like to say it's death on the installment plan. You don't die immediately, but sickness is an element of death. And then the third thing was poverty. So spiritual death, which then resulted in physical death, sickness and poverty, those were the consequences of sin. Jesus went to the cross. Jesus could not just have appeared in the earth and one day, just standing in Galilee, just lift his hands and say, okay, God, place upon me the sins of the world. God, God let's say, would do that in the spirit You'd say, okay, I've borne that. Mankind is free. That wouldn't have worked. Jesus had to die because death was the consequence of sin. He had to die spiritually in the sense that he had to be separated from God. That's why Jesus labored so hard in the Garden of Gethsemane. Oh, Father, if there's any way to take this from me, let this cup pass from me. Now, Jesus was, was, I'm sure he was thinking of the physical uh, uh, ramifications of what he was facing. You know, his body was just as human as yours and mine. He felt the horrors and the torture and the pain and agony. He felt that in his body just as much as you and I would if we had to undergo that kind of torture. He felt that. But I believe he looked even beyond that and saw not only the physical torture but the spiritual torture, if you want to say it that way, of being separated from God. And that was the greater horror to him. Well, Jesus had to die and suffer separation from God. On the cross, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That showed that he had, he had undergone spiritual separation from God during the three days and three nights he was in the earth. He had, to, he had to suffer that because that was the consequence of sin for you and me. He had to die. He, the Bible says here he bore our sicknesses and carried our pains on the cross. Why did he do that? Because sickness and pain, sorrow and grief, all of those things are consequences of sin. Therefore, he had to bear them because that's what was on our table, so to speak. That's what we were obligated to as a result of sin. He had to bear that. Then it says the chastisement for our peace, which includes our prosperity, our financial well-being, our having enough in life, being blessed in life materially. The punishment necessary to to obtain that was upon him. So Jesus bore not only our sin, he bore our sickness, he bore our poverty on the cross because that was the punishment for sin. In in verse number six, it says, the, the, the latter part of verse six, it says, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now, that word iniquity, according to the Brown, Driver, and Briggs uh, Hebrew lexicon, that word iniquity means, number one, iniquity, sin. It also means the guilt of iniquity, and it also means the consequences of or the punishments for 
iniquity. So the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all, the guilt of iniquity of us all, and the consequences of and punishment for all of our iniquities was laid upon him. Well, that's powerful. See, we have no right to pick and choose and say, well, you know, I don't like, I'm just uncomfortable when you talk about money in church. I'm not, I'm uncomfortable when you talk about prosperity. Well, this, this completely aligns with the Hebrew and Greek words for salvation. In the Old and the New Testament, the Greek and Hebrew words for salvation imply the ideas of deliverance, safety, preservation, healing, and soundness. Salvation is the great inclusive word of the gospel, gathering into itself all the redemptive acts and processes. It's very similar to the word shalom. Uh, Ralph Early, uh, distinguished professor emeritus of New Testament studies at the Nazarene Theological Seminary, wrote this. He said, the fundamental idea contained in soteria, that salvation, is the removal of dangers menacing to life. And the, consequence, and the consequent placing of life in conditions favorable to free and healthy expansion. I'm going to read that again. The fundamental idea contained in soteria or salvation is the removal of dangers menacing to life and the consequent placing of life in conditions favorable to free and healthy expansion. Well, that would include prosperity, wouldn't it? Now, it's interesting that this man's a Nazarene. He's not a wild-eyed Pentecostal. Now, go with me over to 2 Corinthians 9. We'll close with this verse, 2 Corinthians. And let's look at the ninth chapter, the 8th chapter, sorry. Oh, Lord. <clears throat> my, 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 my. Well, we won't do that this morning because I, I really want to, it's going to take longer than, Ten minutes. There's a lot of tradition around this verse. Well, let's read the verse and then we'll close. Verse number nine says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Now, the traditional church the traditional church has always believed that money was bad, that it's, you know, it's the root of all evil. The Bible doesn't say that. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. But the church has for centuries across the board, virtually every group has preached and believed that money is at the very best questionable. Uh, they'll, they'll acknowledge you have to have some of it, but it is tainted. It needs to be held at bay. Uh, and that, and that uh, really to be spiritual is to be focused on, uh, is to deny money in your life and to, and to really live a life of, of austerity and, and uh, privation. So the church for centuries has not been able to see the verses of scripture in the Bible that teach otherwise. So this verse is very powerful. Though he was rich for our sakes, 
he became poor that we through his poverty might be rich. They immediately changed that to, to, to refer to spiritual riches, spiritual poverty and, and spiritual riches. But that's only because tradition has so blinded the eyes of the church that it just, it, it, would, it would blow their circuits out to even entertain the idea that Jesus was made poor financially or material, materially so that we could be made rich materially and financially. That just, like I said, this blows their circuits out. Everything goes dark, they just can't compute that. But if, if you read it in context, that's exactly what he was talking about. And we'll show that tonight or next Sunday. Or sometime. Praise the Lord. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. Glory to God. Let's stand. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. We'll show that this passage is talking about exactly what it's saying. That it, that it must be interpreted literally. And there is no license whatsoever to spiritualize this verse. And, and to make it mean anything other than what it means in the context surrounding it. Amen? Praise the Lord. Father, we thank you today for your goodness and blessing. We thank you, Father, because we see that Jesus went to the cross. It's part of the redemptive work of the Lord Jesus Christ to provide prosperity and abundance for us. We can know more deny your will to prosper us then we could deny your will to heal us because Jesus bore our sicknesses and carried our pain and the punishment necessary to provide prosperity for us was upon him we can no more deny the, the provision of prosperity than we could deny the provision of health or to deny the provision of, of salvation from sin. Because all of the consequences of sin went with the sin. And when Jesus was judged with the sins of the world, he also took all of the consequences that went along with it. And so Lord, if, if Jesus took every consequence of sin then he intends for us to live free from those consequences. Father, we're grateful today that Jesus bore our poverty just like he bore our sin, just like he bore our sickness, our sorrows, all of our troubles. He bore on the cross every vestige of poverty, every symptom of lack. He took it away and freed us from it. Therefore, Father, it is our covenant right. And it's, it's really our covenant responsibility to rise up and live prosperous. We have a responsibility to honor the Lord Jesus Christ. Sickness and disease does not honor the Lord. Sickness and disease doesn't honor you, Father. It doesn't honor Jesus because Jesus bore all of that. And so lack not having enough, being in bondage financially does not honor Jesus, seeing that he took all of that, that we could be free. 
Instead, it dishonors the Lord Jesus. So Father, today we make it our our aim to have your covenant fully established in our lives. That every provision of Calvary, every provision of the covenant that you've entered into with the Lord Jesus Christ and you've made us a part of, that we have every provision of it functioning in our lives. Thank you. We accept prosperity today. We believe in it. We accept it. We receive it in Jesus' name. All of our needs met. Prospering us, Father. Thank you, Lord. We lay hold of our covenant right today to live free from want and lack, to live free from financial bondage of any kind, to have abundance, Father, so that we can fulfill your plan for our lives. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Glory to God. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. I could interpret that, but I think somebody else is supposed to. Is that you? Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So stay on the path that I have laid before you. It's a good path. Yeah. It's a path for you to walk forward yes. in and gain everything that I have laid up and keep in store for you. Yes, 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 so don't be afraid and don't be waylaid by what goes on in the world. Don't be waylaid by what the enemy says to you. Right. Keep your focus straight and narrow and on me and follow the path that I have laid out for you and you will not go astray. <laughs> yes, glory to God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Now, if you're somebody that you, uh, you know, it just troubles you. I don't know how else to say it. It just bothers you a little bit. And you just kind of feel like you wish I wouldn't talk about these things or, or you just feel like it's, it's not really uh, fitting somehow spiritually that to be interested in, in prosperity is, is taking your, your attention away from the Lord. I know that tradition exists. That's, that's in people's minds. That somehow, you know, uh, let's just get off this subject. Let's focus on spiritual things. But remember that Jesus took our poverty. He, he, he suffered lack. He suffered loss so that we could have plenty. Therefore, it's, it's, it's spiritual to honor what he did and to receive the blessing that he has. See, prosperity, a lot of people think that prosperity is a blessing of God, but it's sort of on a lower tier. It's something that's that, you know, if you want it and, and if it's the will of God that he can grant prosperity, but it's not something that uh, it's not appropriate to be focused on it. And it, it it's just a blessing that he can give, but it doesn't it doesn't come up to these other things. It absolutely comes up to the level of the cross. 
The blessing of prosperity comes up to the level of the cross because it was on the cross that Jesus bore our sin, our sickness, and our, and our, and our uh, uh, poverty. On the cross, what he suffered on the cross, he suffered that we would have plenty in life. So you need to change your thinking and realize that it's right and it's appropriate to school yourself, change your thinking, and actually begin to rehearse and build your faith for prosperity. Just like you build your faith for every other benefit of Calvary. It's, it's honoring God to build your faith, to confess the scriptures uh, 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 that God has provided what he has provided for you. Well, that includes prosperity. Amen. And if you're not doing that, you're, you're not pleasing God because God has pleasure in our prosperity. He, Jesus died for it. And if he, if, if, if in the natural, if somebody laid their life down, actually physically, you know, died to give you a certain benefit, if, if, if they were from behind the scenes watching afterward, they would be blessed and take pleasure in you taking that benefit and living that benefit because they gave everything they had for it. Well, Jesus gave everything he had for all of these benefits and it pleases him. He takes pleasure in our prosperity. Well, then he doesn't take pleasure in lack. He's not happy when we, when we do without. He's not happy when we live below the standard of abundance. You say, well, what is the standard of living, Pastor? I, the standard is abundance. That's the standard, abundance. Having a full supply. That's what prosperity is. It's having a full supply. And it means having enough, not only to meet your own needs, but enough to give unto every good work, every good thing that comes. It's having enough to be generous, knowing that God will always take care of you and just being free. When you, when you now listen to me carefully. When you uh, struggle over every dollar, do I, do, I, do I buy this or can I afford that? Do I? Listen, prosperity is progressive. God will, God will take you from where you are to where he wants you to be. You can, you can live in a, uh, on a level where you are, uh, every penny has to be accounted for. We've lived that way. We couldn't, we couldn't go out to eat because we didn't have enough money to pay the bills and to go out to the restaurant. And, and we had to be careful. People, when we first started this church, the lady in the church used to bring us rabbits, already killed, already dressed, and she would make rabbit stew. And it was a great blessing because it had, it, we needed that. So it's not... If, you, if you're struggling financially, it's not that God's unpleased with you over that. He's pleased if you're in faith for the abundance. 
He's not displeased if you're pinching every penny and watching your budget real tight because you've only got so much. Listen, the scripture teaches it's wrong to live beyond your budget. That's not wisdom. But, but what dishonors God is when you accept that lack as okay. It's not okay. What God is pleased in in that situation, you might not have everything you will one day have, but if you're striving for it, if you're believing God for it, if you're confessing every day, listen, I might not have everything now. I might not have all the clothes I'd like to have now, but one day I will, praise God. God is blessed and pleased. That is prosperity. When you're, when you're reaching for it by faith, you have it. You might not have the physical out, uh, outworking of it yet, but when you lay hold of it by faith, God says you have it. You remember the story I told of Christopher Allen? When he, years ago, he was in India, and uh, he, he, he stayed in a little uh, mission uh, compound for missionaries in a certain city, and it wasn't very nice. It was just really low rent, you know. But that's, where, that's what he could afford. He was there preaching the gospel. And, he, and there was a big old fancy hotel down the, down the street. He said, one day I'm going to come back to this city and I'm going to preach the gospel of the city and I'm going to stay in that hotel up on the hill. Well, this past year, he was in that city. Guess where he stayed? He stayed in that hotel on the hill. Well, see, God is pleased when you have faith in his promises. Amen. So this isn't a criticism of anybody that's, that is having to budget their, their, their resources. In, in fact, all of us have to budget to some degree. Isn't that right? I'm guessing Donald Trump has to budget at some point. You know, so nobody has enough money to buy everything. So uh, budgeting is not anything to, to, to be discouraged over, but lay hold of the promise of God. Believe it, receive it, Act on it, and you'll rise to the top. And all along the way, God is pleased. Amen. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.